Word of God. And uh, last week we actually went through and looked at that parable that Jesus gave of that good shepherd who is willing to leave the 99 to chase after that one lost sheep. And we're going to kind of continue in Luke chapter 15 this morning here in just a moment as we continue our series on the heart of God. Let me just uh, review just briefly, let me just mention this, that I fear that many people have a twisted view of God. Sometimes it's because of religion itself. Sometimes it's because of, please forgive me for saying it this way, the church itself has given God a bad impression of of what God is really like. Even myself growing up, I grew up, some might not understand this term, but I kind of grew up in a very kind of legalistic culture, very legalistic. For example, um, one, even the way I'm dressed today, that was completely looked down upon. By the way, I'm impressed with myself. I fully clothed myself today. (laughs) The outfit was strategically chosen because it's something I could actually put on myself, including the shoes, so it was for comfort. But I know growing up, if I didn't wear my best, if I wasn't in a white shirt and suit and tie, then I wasn't good enough for God. Years ago, and by the way, it's tying into the message. Years ago, I was on a missions trip. We were down in Honduras, and I still was kind of a newer pastor and still caught up in all of that stuff that you had to, you know, you had to do put on your best, and you had to be your best, and it was a Saturday afternoon, they said, Pastor Joe, you're going up into the mountains, and you're going to preach in a village church in the middle of nowhere, and I was in a pair of, like, cargo shorts, I was filthy dirty, I reeked, I stunk, I was full of sweat, and, and I had no change of clothes, I had, I had a handful, there was no running water, and I had a handful of, uh, of wipes, these body wipes, Now we have dude wipes. Amen. Aren't you thankful for dude wipes? And I took out these wipes and I started trying to at least clean myself a little bit. And I thought, I'm in a pair of just nasty old shorts. I'm in a nasty old t-shirt that's just covered in dirt and grime. And I cleaned myself up the best that I could. We loaded up in this pickup truck and they started taking us for an hour, an hour and a half out into the middle of nowhere. And we got to the middle of nowhere. I remember we pulled out a couple benches. There were chickens running around. Chickens running around. Pulled out a few benches. Used the hood of the truck for a podium to put my Bible. And people started showing up from all over that village. Most of them, some of them didn't even have clothes. Many of them barefoot. Most of them barefoot. And they gathered. They sat on the bench. We sang praises to the Lord. 
we opened the scriptures, and I was humbled that these people showed up. And here I was thinking what I wore mattered. It didn't matter. Can I tell you something? That was just as much a church in the eyes of God as if we come into a fancy building. It humbled me that day. That day it hit me like God is not concerned about my appearance and what I look like. God is more concerned with our hearts. Amen? Amen? But I grew up in more of what would be considered very legalistic. I will say this, that for many years growing up, I had a very twisted view of God. My view of God was that God was just waiting for me to do something wrong, and then he's going to get me. He's going to get you. He just can't wait. He want, he's looking for you to do something. Now, he's gonna, now it's his opportunity. Now he's going to pounce, and God's going to be, he's going to come, and he's going to bring down the hammer. When we come to Luke chapter 15, we have a group of religious people, which is interesting, the ones who should have known better, who had a twisted view of who God was. Look with me at the first few verses, just so you can see the context. In Luke 15, notice what happens. It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. But notice the religious crowd. Notice the people who are supposed to know better. Notice their attitude. Notice how they respond. This made the Pharisees and the teachers, can you say the next word with me, of what? Religious. So these are the religious people. These are the people that go to church every Sunday. They're the ones who know all the law and the prophets. These are the religious people. These are the ones who are supposed to know better. The teachers of the religious law, these are, the Pharisees were the most elite of the day. The Pharisees, there was a group of, I believe, 70, and these were the 70 who ruled, and they made all the decisions based upon the scriptures of that day, and they were the ones who, who, who said, this is what the Bible says, this is what God says, thus saith the Lord. And the teachers of religious law, they began to complain that Jesus was associating with such sinful people and he was even eating with them. So then Jesus is going to tell them a story. Last week we went into the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Do you guys remember that? And we saw this. We saw the heart of, of God for lost souls. Remind you of something. You say, well, what is God like? The disciples asked this question in the Gospel of John. They said to Jesus, show us the Father. Philip in sp specifically said, he said, Jesus, show us who the Father is. Show us the Father and it will suffice us. We'll, we'll, we, we will be, it'll be sufficient to us to know who the Father is. And don't forget what Jesus said. If you know the scriptures, Jesus said this, if you have seen me, you have what? Seen the Father. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He said, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. Can I say this to you? Do not miss this. You're going to hear this this week. You're going to hear it again, Lord willing, if you come back next week. But if you want to know what God is like, then you must know the Lord Jesus Christ. Know who the Savior is. 
And you say, well, I, I don't know about that. Well, let me just say this then. Here's a little challenge for you. Then start going through the Gospels and start reading and studying the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Because if you want to know what God is truly like and you want to know the heart of God, then know what Christ is like. And it's sad as this is that many people really don't know Christ. They don't really know him well, and they've never really studied the life of Christ. And what we've done is this. We've now created religion. And religion now has become nothing more than, than works and trying to please a father through our works and through our own righteousness. But can I tell you something? The Lord Jesus Christ did not come for religion. He came for a relationship with you and I. And so Christ here has this desire to bring these people into the fold of God. And notice the religious leaders, in the first three verses here, they begin to criticize Christ. They begin to complain. And they begin to say that, that what you're doing is wrong. You're associating with sinners. In fact, it says that you're even eating with them. Here they had all of the law and all of the prophets, and they understood the scriptures, but they didn't understand the heart of God. And so Jesus says, well, let me kind of rebuke you, but I'm going to do it in a subtle way. I'm going to tell you some stories. So he gave the story of the, the lost sheep and how there's the, the 99 in the fold and how the shepherd goes out. And we just sang that song and he, and he does everything in his power to go and find the one lost sheep. We see the heart of God for lost souls. But this morning, for just a few moments, I want you to look at this powerful story because his story doesn't end there. He says, it tells us in verse 11, notice he picks up in verse 11, what the Bible says, to illustrate his point further, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus is going to tell them another story. What is the heart of God? So Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Many of you are familiar with this story. It's called the story of the prodigal son. It says the younger son told his father, I want my share of, notice whose estate isn't, your estate. I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. We won't turn to it, but later in the chapter, the brother says this, the older brother says this. He says that he, in verse 30, that he spent his money on prostitutes and harlots. It says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the, the pods or the husks that was given to be feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. 
And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he saw him coming. And filled with love and filled with compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him. And he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this Son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, and now he is found. So the party began. Jesus tells this powerful, powerful story, and next week we'll kind of see the main purpose for this story, but we see that this is again revealing the heart of God. These men were criticizing Jesus because here he was hanging out with sinful people. Here he was hanging out with sinners and and here he was eating with them and fellowshipping with them and, and embracing them and the Bible says receiving them and he was welcoming sinners. And while he was welcoming sinners, those people who were religious, the people who should have had a heart, the same heart of God, they're critical of Jesus and they criticize him and they begin to try to tear him down and they try to, if you will, discourage people from following Christ because Jesus received sinners. And so Jesus is going to rebuke them, but the way he rebukes them is by giving these stories, one of the lost sheep and then of the lost coin. And then he tells a powerful story here, the story of this one who was a son who went astray but then comes home. May I propose to you that it's possible That in the story itself, he's addressing the publicans. He's speaking about the publicans. And if you don't know what a publican is, a publican is someone who was a Jewish person. But the Jewish person who sold out his own countrymen, who became a tax collector, and they basically were hired by Rome and empowered by Rome to basically rob their own people. One of the things that they were most upset about is this, is that Jesus went to the home later, if you read in in Luke 19, he went to the home of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. They hated the tax collectors. Because the tax collectors were Jewish people, but they basically sold out to Rome, and they were selling out their own people for greed, for money, for power. And so picture... As Jesus is here and he's bringing these lost sinners and publicans are coming back to Christ. Publicans are now basically coming and following Jesus Christ and falling in love with God again and changing their hearts and lives. Instead of rejoicing, they're being critical. I think it's possible that in this account that Jesus is saying, in essence, the story of this lost son is very similar to the the tax collectors. Out of their greed and out of their selfish, lustful desires, they, they, they went to Rome and they took the money and they took the power and they were using it for their own benefit. And instead, these men, instead of rejoicing 
As Jesus said in this chapter, they're critical of Christ because Jesus truly has a heart for them. And so he tells a story of two sons. And we just read through this passage. And I'd like to just break this passage down for you just very quickly. The first thing I see in this passage in the first couple verses is I see that the prodigal son exercises his free will. The exercising of his will. He had a choice. He had a decision. He made up his mind. He says to his father, and by the way, this is wow. How low could you go? He says to his father, I want you to take your estate and I want you to divide it among us. I want my estate. In our terms, we'd say this. He says, I want my inheritance and I want it now. When do you usually get your inheritance? When is it? After the father passes. Do you see how selfish? Do you see this, this prodigal son, this son, his attitude and, his, and his, 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 his choice here of saying, in essence, what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead why don't you just die so that I can have my inheritance, so that I can have what's, what's supposed to be mine? I want it, and I want it now. Can you imagine how this broke the father's heart? As the father stands there, and his son comes and demands and says, give me my inheritance, and I want it, and I want it now. Basically, in essence, Dad, just drop dead. Just drop dead so that I can have my inheritance. And we see this father... This generous and gracious father, what does he do? He, he, go, he goes ahead and he divides the inheritance and he gives them to both of his sons. And we see that this younger son, in this decision and in his choice, disregards his father, disregards his family, and really throws away his future. He makes a decision. He makes a choice. And by the way, every single one of you, you have a choice to make whether or not to follow the Lord Jesus Christ or not. It's, you have a free will. You have a free will. And I'm going to speak to some of you young people too, by the way, and some of you younger ones. You may be here, and maybe you're here only because your parents made you, and you're here with them, but there's a, there's a decision that you have to make in your own heart whether or not you're going to follow the Lord whether or not you're going to live for him. I'm amazed and I'm impressed because I see many young people. There are a number of you, I say young people, that's basically everybody under about 45, okay? Really young. And the word young, I kind of keep changing as I get older. But it is amazing to me because I even see some that you are here without parents, without family. Some of you are students, and in your own choosing, in your own free will, you are seeking after God. And it's not because your parents are making you, because you're away from home, and you're out, if you will, in the world, but yet you're still seeking God. And may I say this to you, I commend you, and I encourage you that you are on the right path, and stay on that path. 
But we see here that this young man, he had a choice. He had a decision. And Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15, he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. He calls out the nation of Israel. And he says, You need to make a choice. Are you going to serve the one true living God? And he says to the nation of Israel, Choose whom you will serve. And I say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, I say to you, as you come through these doors to hear the word of God, may I say to you, you have a choice to make. Choose you this day whom you will serve. It's a choice. It's a decision that you must make. It is sad that this young man, he chose to go down a path that was going to lead him into pain and sorrow and suffering. He chose a path that was to go away from his father and away from what he was taught. And he says to his father, in essence, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. Give me your inheritance and give it to me. I want it and I want it now. And so he makes this decision. And by the way, your decisions and the choices you make will guide and lead you down a path. You better make your choices wisely and choose wisely and make decisions wisely. And he makes a foolish decision. And so we see him exercising his free will. I want you to notice his experience. The experience he has in what the scripture refers to as the far country. He goes out into the world. I want to live it up. I want my liberty and I want my freedom and I don't want rules anymore. I love it when you're working with high school kids. They're like, I don't want any more rules. I'm tired of my parents telling me what to do. I want to do my own thing. I don't want any more rules. So I'm joining the military. <laughs> wow, okay. Should have thought that one through a little bit. I've actually heard that and I have to laugh. I'm going into the Marines. All right, have fun with that. <laughs> he makes a choice. He makes a decision. And so he exercises his free will with this choice and with this decision. It now leads him into an experience. Our choices and our decisions will lead us into experience. Where we will have to experience things. I want my freedom and I want my rights and I want to do what I want to do. And so he has a pocket full of cash. His Venmo account is full. His pocket's full of cash. He's got a bank account and he's going to go out and he's going to live it up. And the Bible tells us that this young man, he ends up squandering it. He wastes it. And by the way, maybe you don't know this, but the word prodigal literally means waste, wasteful. The wasteful son. So he wastes his substance. The Bible says on riotous living, on, on lawlessness, if you will, on no restraints. The Bible tells us in this same chapter, in verse 30, that he spends all of his money on prostitutes. He just, he, anything he wants, he's going to have. And so he's living it up. And by the way, the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that there is pleasure in sin for a season. And this is the lie that the enemy 
uses to get so many people to go down the wrong path, and that is this, that, that sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. But what they don't realize is it only lasts for a season. And so he's living it up. He wastes his substance, partying. In our day and age, it would be his drugs, alcohol, women, just living it up. And so he wastes his inheritance. He squanders his time. We're not sure how long he's in this situation, but we know this, that there's a point where that season ends and the Bible says that he finds himself in a hog pen. He ran out of everything. And by the way, it says, and no man helped him. Where were all of his partying friends now? Where are they at? You know, all the people he partied with. Where are they at now? He ran out of money. When he ran out of money, he lost his so-called friends. The Bible says that no one helps him. He's all alone. A famine hits. He experiences the failure. He experiences frustration. It's interesting how Jesus tells these stories. Some of you probably didn't even catch this. But where does he end up? And what does he end up feeding? Does anyone know? pigs. Now to us, this is no big deal. By the way, we all love bacon. Amen? (laughs) Put some bacon on your pizza. Right? Bacon makes everything better. Put it on your burger. I know people put it in milkshakes now, right? You know? A little sweet and salty. Bacon makes everything better, right? Do you guys understand in this story that for Jewish people, pigs are unclean. Swine, pigs are unclean. They're filthy. They're not even to come in contact with them. They're not to be around them. They don't touch them. They don't eat them. A pig was a filthy animal, and it was considered unclean. Not just, not just unclean like, oh, that's dirty, but spiritually, they were unclean. Jesus weaves this story, and as he tells this story, This is really hitting home to these people who are listening to the story because here's a Jewish boy who's now out in the world and he's working, if you will, for a Gentile and he's out there in the world and now what is he doing? He's sitting among the unclean, filthy, gross animals and he's eating the food that he's feeding to the pigs to the swine. How humbling it must have been for this young man as he finds himself experiencing the world and realizing that the world was not everything that he thought it would be. 
And so he exercises his free will. He experiences the pain and the sorrow and the suffering. And the Bible says then he has a time of examination where he examines himself. It says this, when he came to his senses. Some versions say this, that when it says when he came to himself. When he came to himself. He's sitting in the hog pen and think about the stench and the smell. And he's looking at his life and he's like, I've wasted everything. I have nothing to show for it. He's experiencing famine. He's experiencing his own failures. He's experiencing frustration. And he's sitting here and the Bible says that he finally comes to a point where he examines himself. When he came to himself, I think that's a powerful statement. I think it took him quite some time to get to this point. To where he finally humbles himself and says, it's no one else's fault but my own. I think for some time maybe he sat in the hog's pen and he said, well, this is my dad's fault. He was too strict or whatever, you know. This is mom's fault. This is my brother's fault or this is the pastor's fault or it was the church's fault or it was whoever's fault, right? But somewhere along the line, this young man finally comes to a point where he takes on some accountability and he takes responsibility for his own actions and he says, you know what? I'm here because of my choices and my decisions. I'm here because of the decisions that I made. When he came to his senses, he had no one else to blame but himself. He hit rock bottom is what we would call it. And as he's sitting there and contemplating, he realizes it wasn't so bad back home, was it? He says, you know what? The servants back home, they have it so much better than I do. He's literally nearly starving to death. The scripture clearly tells us this. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go. I'm going to rise. I'm going to return. I'm going to confess. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against my father. And we see him finally at a place of humility. He says, I am not worthy. Numerous times he says, I'm not worthy to be called a son, but I'm willing to go back and just be a servant. Because to be a servant in my father's house is far better than where I'm at right now. Let me just throw this out here. If you have someone in your life, a friend, a loved one, in particular, if you're a parent and you have a prodigal child and you're experiencing this, I'm going to say a very hard statement but I want you to just bear with me. You guys ready for this? The father most likely knew where this son was. In fact, remember, if you read verse 30 later, the brother knows what the brother's doing. 
Are you guys listening? Please. The brother knew exactly what he was doing. He said he's living it up. He's wasting his substance on, on, on wild living and on prostitutes and on harlots. And he's, you know, he's, he's living it up. Don't miss this. The father never went out to the hog pen to get his son to bring him home. And you say, well, that's awful. You're supposed to be preaching on the heart of God. That's terrible. What do you mean, Pastor Joe, that, that he didn't? Until this young man came to a point in his life where he realized that it was his choices and his decisions and that he had to suffer the consequences of his behavior, the father had to wait and let God do what God was going to do in that young person's heart. Let me say it like this. Sometimes we, Christians, pastors, parents, loved ones, sometimes what we do is we interfere in what God wants to do in a person's heart and life. And we get in the way of what God wants to do. What do you think happens if, let's change the story, the father runs out to the hog pen and the boy is sitting in the hog pen and he says, son, come home, this is awful, it's terrible. Please come home, please come home. Here, I'm going to bring you home. And he brings him home. What do you think is going to happen in about three months or six months? What do you think is going to happen? Where is he going to end up? Back in the hog pen. We use the term bailing out. We know what that means, right? Can I say this? This, this is not, you, this does not, this is hard. Sometimes we have to let people hit rock bottom. Sometimes we have to not interfere with what God is wanting to do in a person's heart and life. And sometimes that means they have to hit rock bottom. It means that sometimes they have to come to their senses. It means that sometimes, as the scripture says, that when he came to himself, he had to come to a point where it was his choices, his decisions, and it was the consequences of his actions. And when he came to that point, the Bible says that he was broken. And at that time of brokenness, he is now in a place of humility. And in a place of humility, he says, you know what? I am not worthy. I'm not even worthy to be called a son. And so I would caution all of us that many a times I've seen it, even as a church, as a pastor, that there were times where we would sometimes you know, want to jump in and fix things. And sometimes the best thing we can do is sit back and let God have his work in that person's life. I'm not saying there's never a time to help and to intervene. But in this case, we don't see the father chasing after the son. He doesn't go out and try to bring the son back. But what we're going to see here is amazing is this, when we see the examination of his failure, when he came to himself, when he humbled himself, notice the expression of the father, and this is powerful. We see that this young man begins to make his way home. He says, it's my fault. It was my choices and my decisions, and I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go back to my father. And notice this. I love this. It says this. It says, when he was a great way off, 
The father saw him. You see, the son had to make the first move back to the father. But once he made that move back to the father, the Bible tells us that when he was a great way off, do you see this? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. It means this, that the father was waiting and in anticipation, with expectation, waiting for his son to come home. And it says this, filled with love and with compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him. He hugs him and he kisses him. Isn't this a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of the love that God has for us? He hugs him and he kisses him and he embraces him. And his father is rejoicing. Can I tell you, this son reeked. He stunk. He's filthy. He's dirty. In the eyes of the Jewish people, he's unclean. He has been sleeping with, he slept with anything and everything, including the swine. He was, I mean, he's filthy. He's dirty. He stinks. And yet the father still runs out and embraces him. The father runs out and hugs him. The father runs out and kisses him and welcomes him home. We see the heart of our father. Oh boy, this is so powerful. He says this. He says to his servants, he says to his people, he says, bring out the best coat. By the way, you know who's, wh wh what do you think the best coat is? Who has the best coat? You know whose it is? It's the father's coat. He says, bring out the best coat and put it on him. He says, bring out the calf that we have been fattening for this occasion and bring it out and kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party. And he says, bring him sandals. He's the, this young man is practically naked. He's coming back. He says, bring him out a new pair of shoes. And he says, give him a ring and put a ring on him. And we're going to party because my son who is gone, he is home and he is back. The best coat. Wow. The best coat is a picture of this, is that you and I are sinners. And the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood. And the Bible says that we put on clothes of righteousness. The Bible says it like this in the New Testament, speaking of Christ, that because of what Christ has done, his coat of righteousness is placed upon us. Jesus, in the story of the prodigal son, when this young man comes back, what he's saying is this, I'm going to give him the best coat. He's going to have the coat of righteousness. He's going to put on my coat. And when everyone sees him, they're going to see that that is my coat. Can I tell you something? We are not righteous because of our own works or because of what we have done. We are righteous because of the grace of a loving Father who forgives us of our sin because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we put on the best coat, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're given a ring as a symbol of royalty. We become a child of God. Amen. And he says, give them new, new clothes, new shoes. Put the best coat give him a ring and he restores his son his son is weeping and crying and says father I don't even belong here I'm not worthy I don't even deserve to be called a son I just want to be a servant and he embraces him 
and he brings him home and he restores him and he brings him back into the fold, back into the home, back into the family and Christ restores him. Do you guys remember? We're going to talk about it next week, but do you remember what the brother's attitude is? He's ticked. He's mad. He's angry. And we'll look at his attitude next week of the older brother. But I want to say this to you this morning. I fear that many people have a twisted view of who God is. God loves us, amen? In spite of all of our faults and failures, God still loves us. God has a heart for lost souls. God has a heart for prodigal children, prodigal sons and daughters. There might even be some here today, you're a prodigal son, you're a prodigal daughter. I would tell you this, that God loves you and he wants to welcome you home. He wants to bring you back into the family. Maybe you're here today and you say, I am struggling. There's a person in my life, maybe it's a child, and they are a prodigal child right now, a son or a prodigal daughter. Can I tell you this? God is good. God is faithful. Let God work in their life, but continue to pray for them. And when God brings them home, can I tell you this? Embrace them and love them and bring them in. Amen? Amen. And I just want to say this as well. That father was so forgiving, wasn't he? So forgiving. As we look and we'll see the rest of the story, the brother was not But I think it's important to say this, is that if we're going to have the heart of God, then we must be a forgiving people. That we must be willing and ready to forgive. The father was already ready. He was waiting. He was watching. He saw. He said, he's coming home. He's coming home. And he ran out and he met him and he offered him immediately. He offered him forgiveness and he restored him. Can I say this to you? Some of you are struggling with unforgiveness. You say, well, how do you know that? Because we're human. That's how I know it. I don't know any specific case. I don't. But I do know this, that every single one of us, we've been hurt. We've been wronged. Don't you believe that this father was wounded and hurt when his, father, when his own son literally said, I just, I'd, you, I'd rather you dead. I don't want you in my life. And he left. Can you imagine how broken this father was and how wounded he was? But what we see is this, that he was willing to forgive. Can I just encourage you that if someone's hurt you, if someone's wronged you, if you're carrying unforgiveness, can I tell you something? That is not a load that we are meant to carry. I'd encourage you today, today to say, you know what? I need to have the heart of God and I need to demonstrate forgiveness. And all God's people said this morning, would you stand and have a word of prayer with me? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you.